The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. Well, welcome, guys. Uh, sorry, I uh, left the microphone stuff all trapped here on the stage this morning. Couldn't get to it till now, so it took me a moment. Uh, my name is Jason. I am one of the pastors here with this crew. I, you met uh, Scott there, and I think Mike was up here ha- hanging out too and helping with the music. As uh, You'd think Mike was like this extra guy that just plays drums and does things. He's the pastor that takes care of all the music stuff. So that means when there's holes and gaps, he is the uh, go-to guy that fills it in. So sometimes it seems like, where's the, the music pastor? We don't have one in one sense. We have a pastor to musicians, um, but just kind of want to give Mike props because he's often behind the scenes hidden. So uh, anyway, if you are here for the first time or haven't been here for a few weeks, you are joining us right at the midpoint of this little series we're doing that is really our deep breath before fall. Some of you who have been here over a year, which I'm, I'm kind of curious, how many folks have been here less than since last fall? You know, there's a... Quite a few. In the morning, even more so. Uh, probably a bunch of you have been here less than a year. That's uh, just kind of the way this stuff has grown. And in the fall, here at Artisan, starting in September, it gets very, very kind of busy and frenetic and all kinds of energy and stuff going on because there's this influx of college students and folks who are no longer traveling all over the place in summer. And for some reason in our culture, there's still some vestige of of something related to church culture that sort of puts people in the mind of at least exploring that possibility. So it's a wonderful time for inviting unchurched friends, for folks, folks to check out a church community. And so we, we pay attention to that. We take advantage of that. But before we get there, we want to make sure we're where we need to be, personally and certainly as a church body. And so this deep breath, part of what we're doing is looking at our mission. You know, why do we exist? And so last week, we kicked it off. You look at the bottom of your bulletin, there's a, a, a little, it's just spelled out there, encounter God, embrace people, and engage culture in the way of Jesus, is how that's all put together. So last week, uh, actually, Mike led a great group of folks who did this immerse-style worship service, something we do about a half dozen times a year, probably three or four Sundays, and then a few other times, other days, where... The chairs aren't here. There's usually no music. It's just directed. You can see some of the pieces of that from this clay station that was here. People, not Clay Aikens. We don't do that here. Um, sorry, that's not nice. Because uh, of his music uh, is what I'm saying. There was... There's people in the woods. It was fun. And the whole point was to, uh, to focus on encountering God. And it was sort of a fitting approach to that. Next week, to jump ahead of ourselves, we're going to talk about em- engaging culture. And actually, two of, our, uh, two of our folks who've done a good job with other things uh, of preaching and teaching, Tyler and Anna, are going to lead us during the message time in some guided discussion about what it looks like. And for the evening crowd, what is next week? It is the first week of the 5 p.m. being rated M for mature. 
We'll see how that goes. We may get into it a little bit tonight, but especially next week. No holes barred. Uh, so we'll shift, uh, we'll shift gears. But this week, I want to focus on this aspect of it, the mission, embracing people, what that looks like. And so there's this great passage of scripture that kind of bridges all three of those. I'm going to focus on the embracing people part. But as we'll come to see, you can't really separate these out. And so I thought I'd use that since we're doing different formats on the first and last week as a way of reminding ourselves that we don't just do normal here. Uh, we stretch ourselves. We, we find other ways to encounter God and embrace people and engage culture as part of Sunday and, and throughout the rest of the week. Uh, but the pastor I want you to turn to is Acts chapter 17. We're going to start out in verse 16. If you're using the red Bibles provided, it's on page 902. If you brought your own Bible, I assume you'll know how to get to Acts, but uh, it's in the New Testament. Uh, it's written by the gospel uh, writer Luke. It's sort of volume two. Uh, even though the Gospel of John gets inserted in there, that was really there t- together, Luke and Acts. And what's been going on so far is the Apostle Paul has been a man on a mission, you know, on a mission from God, sort of like the original Blues Brothers. And much like them, he keeps getting beat down and thrown out and, and just causing all kinds of trouble. And so after his latest beating and being run out of town, uh, the church community said, Paul, why don't you kind of go take a breather somewhere else. And uh, he said, okay, I'll, I'll go, but you've got to send along some companions to, to work with me because you know I can't stay still. I've got to keep doing this thing that God's called me to do. And so that's where we find him, uh, hanging out in Athens, awaiting Silas and Timothy, two young guys he's mentoring and that will join him shortly. And so here's what we find. And I want you to pay attention to the different ways Paul really embraces people, how he cares about encountering God and how he's engaging culture and how they all work together. But see if you can start to pick some of those up on your own just from a plain reading and then uh, go in a little deeper for things that might not be immediately obvious. All right? In fact, why don't we pray before we jump into God's word? So God, we do thank you that we have this opportunity to, to hear from you, not merely from each other or from some guy talking, but... Uh, from your scripture. And whatever we do as a church, as a people, for those who are exploring and seeking and searching out who Christ may or may not be in their life, that the scriptures are a sure place to, uh, to turn to, to guide us in that. And so we pray that you would do that. You would open our ears, you'd open our eyes, that you would free us to respond and act. Help us to uh, understand what you'd have for us tonight. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So Acts 17, beginning, beginning in verse 16, says, While Paul was waiting for them, Timothy and Silas, to come join him, while he was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see the city was full of idols. So people in the city are encountering God, or they're attempting to encounter God. And he's distressed about the ways they're going about it. It says, so, he argued. All right, doesn't seem like a good start to embracing people, but see where he goes with this. So he argued, where? In the synagogue, with the Jews and the devout persons, and also in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. And also some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers debated with him. Some said, what does this babbler want to say? 
Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign divinities. This was because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. And so there's a context as Paul is starting out here. It begins to reveal a bit of his approach in a setting that I think is a lot more similar to where we are here in Rochester, in this culture, with the way God seems to have called us to be his church in this location. Uh, It's a very uh, diverse place. Lots of things going on. And the mission he feels called to do takes him to some different places. And so let's start with that first, because as we talk about embracing people in different contexts, that should probably look different. So let's see if he has some different contexts. Where does Paul start out? Anyone catch that? Where's the first place that he goes as he just feels this burden? Where does he go first? Goes to the synagogue. What's he going to experience here in the synagogue? His people, his tribe. He is a trained Jewish rabbi who now happens to uh, have found that Jesus is the Messiah and the fulfillment of all that his people have been waiting for. Uh, and so when it says he argues with them, what kind of argument is it? Sort of a family argument, right? It's a little bit different. And so the way you might kind of go back and forth with family members, at the end of it, hopefully you're still going to be family. Uh, Hopefully, at the end of it, you're still going to be family. But that's where he starts. He starts with holy ground. And that's a different place. And most Sundays, you know, that's sort of what we create here. And how we might embrace people who come here to be part of or exploring what's going on here may look different. I'm not going to say how it will look, but can we agree that that may have a different take Those who have self-selected show up here, may be able to start in a different place with them. But he doesn't stop there, because really that's the easiest place to do this whole living out the mission amongst, you know, literally preaching to the choir, or I don't know if synagogues had choirs, they didn't, but um, they sang the Psalms though, which is good. Where does he go next? Starts in the synagogue, where does he head next? To the marketplace. So already he's pushing our buttons a little bit, right? This whole embracing people, you mean we just can't be here, you know, passing the peace and saying hi to each other and and just let it be here? Well, no. So he goes out into the marketplace where, what's that type of space? Who owns the, the marketplace? It's sort of everyone's, right? So he's gone from holy ground to some common ground, to a place where... You could run into anyone, different backgrounds, different belief systems, uh, different ways of life. And do you suppose the way he might, in the way of Jesus, extend a gesture of embrace, literally or metaphorically, should that look different than it does in the synagogue? Should it look different where it's common ground than it should where it's ostensibly holy ground? Think there should be any difference there? It's a good question, right? Have you ever experienced when one way of doing something is very appropriate, very fitting to a particular context, and then out of context, it's deeply disturbing or just a little bit, you know, odd or weird? 
So the way we might embrace folks who show up here, you know, even good friends, you know, the big hug and all that stuff, if, you do the, if you're into that thing, hugging people. It's overrated, but whatever. Uh, so the coworker that you might come to worship with here, or your classmate or your neighbor, Monday morning, do you greet him at the coffee pot? You know, peace of Christ be with you, brother. It's, it's just a, what is, it's a good Monday to be together doing work. Now, that might be a fun way to start your week, but, but everyone else might think you guys are a little odd. They might be intrigued by that oddness. That's why, you know, there's no right or wrong answer with some of this stuff. That can be, you know, fascinating. What, what's up with these people? Because I want a little bit of what's in their coffee. Uh, but it's a fine line. And so the different contexts require or suggest different ways of embracing people. But then this fascinating shift takes place. There's something about the way Paul has, has extended for Paul, remember, he's kind of gruff. He, he likes to go at it with words and, and make a strong point. So an embrace from Paul may be different than an embrace from, you know, say, Brenda, who's one of our folks here. She, she can give a hug, um, and I let her, because, you know, who's going to say no to, to Brenda? Um, and why would you? She's a wonderful, wonderful hugger. Uh, and uh, there's something about the way Paul has gone about this that you already get a glimpse of there as those Epicurean Stoic philosophers begin debating with him. It's a subtle change, but before it's been him doing kind of the, most of the talking. And they're starting to ask questions, and they're curious, and they're intrigued, and then this shift takes place. You pick it up in verse 19. Verse 19 through 21. It says, So they took him, took Paul, and brought him to the Areopagus. That's just the kind of the word for Mars Hill would be roughly how we'd translate that. This special gathering place that had some significance for uh, those who like to debate and argue and think deep thoughts, sort of a salon crowd, uh, lots of talking, not necessarily doing a lot, but love to talk about stuff. Some of you guys may feel at home with that. This is a a talk about stuff church right here. Um, But did you notice the shift? What happened? How did Paul end up there at the Areopagus? Did you catch what took place? Let's read it again. So they took him and brought him to the Areopagus. Who's the one extending the gesture? Who's the one? It's, it's the other folks there. They bring Paul. It's not holy ground anymore. It's not even common ground. They actually invite Paul to their ground, to their turf, which is a unique place to find yourself. And so Paul has a choice on what kind of posture he's going to take with these folks who invite him in, invited him in to their space. So what are some of the ways, literally and figuratively, that Paul could approach this? Remember, he's a Jewish, trained rabbi, follower of Jesus, and these pagan philosopher kind of slackers, let's be honest, sort of the hipster doofus crowd of, of the first you know, turn of the century AD there. Um, again, it's our people for many of us here. 
he could be like this, right? Just kind of arms crossed. It's not where he's familiar. It's going to be their rules, their approach. He could, he could kind of keep an arm's length, right? Anyone familiar with those, those gestures, those who you know, are followers of Jesus here, that as you kind of leave the holy ground, and maybe even when you're in the common ground, but especially when someone takes you to kind of their ground, uh, into their home or into their club or their bar or their backyard or their confidence or their emotional space, you know, literal, figurative, all those things. And when it comes to living out this mission that we're talking about, sort of this deep breath of, of what God's Spirit wants us to be filled with and then empowered to do as a, as a people, as his church, as individuals, do you ever find yourself, you know, kind of doing that? Clearly, those aren't embraces. There's another one Paul could do, which is sometimes our overreaction or our righteous reaction or our indignant reaction, because Paul could get in there and, you know, kind of some verbal fisticuffs, you know, some philosophical pugilism, some other words for that. He could really go at it, right? And Paul could hold his own. And he can also take a beating, so he's already had several beatdowns. He will have several more because he just always opens his mouth and shares things that are sometimes challenging. And so he has to pick. And here's what he does. And notice how all these pieces start to go together. He's concerned about how folks encounter God. He's making an attempt to embrace something of them. He's done it in the synagogue, in the marketplace, and now in the Areopagus, on the turf of these folks who invited him in. And you're going to see how he engages culture, which we're not going to get into a lot. I want want you guys to have those discussions next week. Pull that stuff apart. But here's what he does. Verse 22. It says, Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What you therefore worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. And from one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth. And he allowed the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live so that they would search for God, perhaps grope for him and find him, Though indeed he is not far from each one of us. And so Paul, he doesn't hold them at arm's length. He doesn't cross his arms, sort of not willing to engage. We're worried at first that he is going to start a fight, you know. Because depending on the tone of voice, it could be very sarcastic, which he is fully capable of. But he seems to genuinely engage them. And there's some, in your, 
in your Bibles, there's probably a couple little things that have quotes around them that will, in the next verse, he's going to do something really fascinating. He's going to quote some literature to them. If he was in holy ground, synagogue, what literature might he quote? Probably scripture, right? The Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. If he's on common ground, you know, it's a harder one to know. But he's on their ground. Epicurean, Stoic philosophers. Is he going to throw Bible verses at them? Does that, if he does or not, does that mean the Bible isn't trustworthy and true and, and useful for correction and doctrine? But is he going to start with that? Here's what he does. He quotes the Greek poets and philosophers, uh, Epimedes and Aratus, from 500 B.C. and 300 B.C. He quotes their own source material to them. Do you see the way he's embracing them as much as he can? And here's what he says, verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. And since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. And so Paul does something very risky in his attempt to embrace as much as he can these people who are created in the image of God, who Christ has died for, whom God wants them to encounter him and him to be a part of their life. He makes the risk of seeming to embrace some of their beliefs. Now, can you do that if you're a Christian? Can you, can you agree with other people on some of their beliefs? Well, it probably depends on what they believe, I would, I would say. Do you know what the, the poem, I think it's a, a quote that is, for we too are his offspring, though it may be both of them. I've now forgotten which it is. Do you know who the him is? Who the, uh, the person that we are the offspring of, that we gain life from, that he's quoting? Anyone know? It is the God Zeus. So Paul is saying, Zeus made us, right? Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, He's making an argument that the Roman pantheon of gods is the correct view of of God and human condition, right? No. But might he be misunderstood as saying that? What do you suppose the reaction would have been if he was in the synagogue and started quoting poems about how we've sprung from the head of Zeus? You know, that would not have gone over well. In the 5 p.m. service, you can get away with it. Not in the morning, no. And so, he's taking a risk of being accused of syncretism, of blending things that do not belong together, and he's generally finding some common ground. Because here's what he does. It's just, it's fascinating. Again, this, this goes far more to the engaged culture piece. So this is some fodder for, for you guys next week. But again, he quotes the Cretan poet Epimedes, and then Aratus who's actually from his homeland of Cilicia from a few hundred years beforehand. 
And so what does that say about Paul's willingness and his approach to embracing people? And so what he does with that, so you're aware of the dynamic going on and how this would come across to the people who have invited him into their space, it would come across as him honoring them as best he could, of him being aware and educated and mindful of their beliefs and worldview, and of him finding ways to embrace some of that, actually. He takes the, uh, this Epicurean doctrine that God needs nothing from humans. You know, there was this reaction to, uh, to the idea that you had to kind of put little trinkets together or bits of food or, or do all these actions and, and just go through all these motions to somehow please these capricious gods. And the Epicureans said, no, that's... that's foolishness. If God is God, if there is a God, he does not need us going through all these exercises and giving him little stuff as though he's going to go hungry or get bored without us. And so he brings that in. He then blends it a bit with this Stoic belief. And the Epicureans and Stoics didn't always you know, see eye to eye, so he's doing some clever things there as well, with a Stoic belief that that God is the source of all life. That that's where we come from. And so there's something in us that has the fingerprints of God all over it. And so he seeks to have as much common ground as possible. He seeks to generally embrace who they are. And that's a risky thing to do. And part of why we're reminding ourselves in this series of what our mission is, is because it's a risky mission. To encounter God, to embrace people, to engage culture in the way of Jesus, that sometimes ends up at a cross. That sometimes ends up with misunderstanding, with heartbreak, with disappointment, with uh, all kinds of letdowns, with unbelievable challenges. And this one of embracing people, I don't know, it may be the toughest because it's so immediately apparent whether that's going well or not. And so that mission, what is it again? Encounter God, embrace people, and engage culture. That's our mission, right? Counter God, embrace people, engage culture. How do we encounter God? There's lots of ways to encounter God, or at least to go about it. How do we embrace people? Man, there's some ways to embrace people. Uh, we could grow a church real fast if we change some of our ways of embracing people, right? How do we engage culture? Well, we've said we're going to do it in the way of Jesus. And so Paul doesn't get to leave off that part of the mission either. He can find some wonderful common ground with some Stoic philosophy and some Epicurean ways of thinking and bring them together, but at the end of the day, for him, it's all about Jesus. And so if the embrace is not going to be insincere, if the embrace is going to generally be who Paul is, embracing who they are, 
then who Jesus is in Paul's life is going to have to be a part of that. And this is where it gets far less comfortable. And so here's what Paul says. I don't recommend that everyone, you know, try to be Paul word for word. Because, again, unless you want several beatings. Uh, the gesture is open-armed. It's welcoming. But then he makes it clear what his mission is in life. In verse 30, he says, Well, God has overlooked the times of human ignorance. <laughs> Those are fighting words, right? Who you call an ignorant? We're like, we're philosophers. We've got our own Areopagus, man. We Ignorant. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands, commands. No, we're just having a conversation here. What's true for you is true for you, is true for me, is true for me. Let's, let's not start commanding things. But now God has commanded, commands all people everywhere. That pretty much covers it right there. To repent. What an incredibly arrogant word. You need to change, Paul's saying. That what you've been doing, 180. Got to turn that thing around. But he says it because it's true. And he says it in a way that as best it can embraces who those folks are. And verse 31 says, Because God has fixed a day on which you will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And so Paul begins to explain who Jesus is in the barest of terms, but he has now crossed a line. Some of the, these folks would have a philosophical point of view about the material world. Anyone familiar with kind of the platonic dualism, that, that way of thinking? How did many of those folks in the philosopher class, at least, view the human body, the created order? Were they, they think it was a really good thing? Not so much. No, they thought it was trapping the soul, that it was something that was denigrated and maybe was to be denigrated. They did not have the Hebrew point of view that creation is good. In fact, it can be very good. And so you want to talk about bringing a dead body back to life to some philosophers? That's not going to go over well. And so there's a reaction. And it says in verse 32, when they had heard of the resurrection of the dead, some scoffed. But others said, we'll hear you again about this. And at that point, Paul left them. Every time I read this passage, I, I, just, I just love that. So some scoffed. Some said, oh, we'd like to hear more. Paul said, great, I got to go. And he leaves them. What is he doing? Have you ever had an embrace that started out feeling right? Is he smelling my hair? 
And after a while, it gets very uncomfortable. I think Paul is using appropriate touch philosophically. He's, he's letting them be. Because it's a fine line for some of us between the hug and the grope, or the hug and the headlock. You know, my personal preference, which so many people here violate, and, and it's okay. My personal preference, which again means everyone will now do almost the exact opposite. Here's, here's how I like to, you know, let's demonstrate, because uh, another big strapping guy, I think, um, I like to, and I also like to be higher, so I'm going to stay up here. So, um, <laughs> you got the one arm, which you can bring in, and then that. And notice what you got here. This. <laughs> because if it gets a little uncomfortable, you can just, you can just roll out. <laughs> All right? Am I right? So, not that I mind being embraced by a strapping young man like Andrew, but, uh, but I want to know I can get away. I really do. So, there's embrace that can become inappropriate. We've already talked about the different contexts. And so, the big bear hug during the passing of the peace may not be the way you want to open up, you know, your staff meeting. Holding hands and, and praying with, uh, with your significant other there. Um, that may not be the way to, uh, to start your, your performance review. Um, it may be, but probably not. There's, there's types of approaches. And so I love that Paul leaves. You should always leave him wanting more than begging you to go away. <laughs> and so embracing people, implied in that, is that you will let go at an appropriate point and then see where everyone's at. And so he goes away. He leaves them. Verse 34, but some of them joined him. There's no headlock. They joined him of their own accord. That's the best way for this stuff to play out. Some of them joined him. And some became believers. I like to separate that out a little bit. Because I can imagine there were some that kept following along that weren't quite there yet. I know that's, all, that's very true here at Artisan. That people are part of, of this fellowship without having everything figured out. And though they may receive the embrace, they're not quite ready to return it, at least towards Christ. And that's Okay. Some became believers, including Dionysius. And why is this one so important? Who's Dionysius? He's an Areopagite. He's one of the folks that invited Paul into their space. And there's something about the way Paul embraced who they were without denying who he was. There's something about the way he shared in the common ground they had but still brought Christ in a respectful, truthful, meaningful way to that conversation that one of the leaders of this group then embraced Christ himself. And then there's also a woman named Damaris who we know almost nothing about from the biblical record. Uh, There's lots of fun speculation and historical stuff, but you can imagine pretty easily from the context that this Damaris, who's running with these guys, 
who are arguing deep philosophy, who apparently is, is not attached to a man, uh, as would be almost the default situation there. She may be connected to Dionysius, but doesn't really put it together that way. She's probably a really sharp lady. Holds her own in a debate. Probably a successful businesswoman to be there in that setting. And she embraces Christ as well. And so, the reason we focus on this mission, which is not unique to us as artists in church, it's just our way of articulating it, encounter God, embrace people, and engage culture in the way of Jesus. The reason we do that is for Damaris and Dionysius and Jason and Brenda and all these folks. And so the challenge and the risk we're going to take as followers of Jesus is to attempt to embrace in a way that is not groping, that is not a headlock, that knows when to let go, sometimes results in those very people then embracing Christ. And so I'll leave you with, the, with this kind of practical thought. There's, of course, many ways to encounter God, embrace people, and engage culture. We have picked the way of Jesus, which has a lot of interpretation and lots of freedom, thankfully, in how we can go about doing that. And as I said, one of the reasons we're doing this is to take this deep breath of God's spirit because it's going to get crazy busy. Um, we don't always feel as much in the evening service, though at times during the year this place gets packed out. In the morning, which is our newer service, that one breaks at times. And in a few weeks, we're going to, two weeks, we're going to add a third service. So there's two in the morning, one in the evening. And in the fall, we just get inundated with folks coming back, folks coming for the first time, college students especially. And this morning we had already, it, it was on. <laughs> we had like 12 college students that just happened to be here early. We're going to be overrun and overwhelmed. And there's not much we can do about that except embrace it. We could be mean and we could suck. I've always said that if we wanted to stop growing, those are our choices. Let's just be mean and suck. And apart from doing that, people are going to keep coming and hearing who Jesus is and hanging out with what are honestly some really great people here. A handful. No, just a giant group of fantastic people. Every last one of you. Uh, and so here's some practical things. Because we might be of the mindset that we don't really need to do anything because they're just going to show up. They're going to come to the holy ground. And we can kind of embrace them on our turf. Except, no, we need to be where there's common ground. And we need to thank God for those opportunities when they invite us onto their ground, into their home, their lives, their space. And so one of the very practical ways we can be embracing people these next few weeks, college students uh, in September especially, everyone in the neighborhoods and our friends and, and so on uh, in October, 
is simply inviting. And I know as soon as I said invite people, a whole bunch of you just did a little calisthenic thing in your head. Where, but embracing people is so much more than inviting. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to suggest it's not less than that, though. Because there is no easier way and place and time of year than what we're about to have in September and October. And for those who are just anxious about that idea of inviting folks, there's actually some pretty good news. Study asked uh, people who do not attend church at all, you know, apart from weddings and funerals and the baby dedications and those type of things, they are not churchgoers. And asked them if, if a friend or an acquaintance invited you to a worship service, would you attend? How many folks do you think said yes to that? What would be some good, encouraging statistics? If it was 20%, say one in five, if you knew that one out of five people you invited, statistically, you may have far worse numbers, but if we all do it together, we'll grade on a curve. Uh, that would be pretty good. How about 40%? 50%? We would not turn down those numbers, would we? Now, they may just come once and never come again. That's, that's both on us and them on what happens next. 82% said, which probably means some of them lied, but 82 of them percent said uh, they would show up. That's really good news. But there's also some bad news. You know how many people who attend church actually invite? What would be some bad statistics? What would we be disappointed in? So if only 80% did it, we'd like, okay, that's, that's okay. This 20% are always going to just be slackers and not have it together. And no, no, they, you know, but 80%, that would actually be pretty good. 50%, I guess we could live with, right? How about 20%? If it was the old 80-20 rule. You know, 20% of us are just, just pulling the whole invite weight for the rest of this uh, you know, dead weight here. Uh, we, we could get our heads around that number, right? Yeah. Let us not be an average church. And that's as good a place as any to close. Let's pray. So God, we thank you that you set the pattern for all that we're talking about. That you cared so much that we would encounter you. That you just didn't make a, an appearance. You didn't pretend to be human. You didn't just send words our way. That you literally embraced our full humanity. You didn't show up fully formed. You allowed yourself to be conceived in a womb develop, be born into blood, sweat, and tears. And then though you were sinless, you even embraced that.
and you held it down until you killed it. And because you rose to new life, we can receive that same calling. And so my prayer for each person here is that they would encounter you, that that would happen first. And that from the overflow of your work in their life, they would choose to embrace people. And if they did nothing else but those two, we'd be in really good shape. And if they'd pay attention to the culture and how they might engage that, wow, the things that could happen. And so I pray you do it in the hearts of those who follow Jesus and those who call this their church home and that you would be at work in those who are figuring those things out. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, every week we provide a, just space because this is holy ground, right? We get to embrace each other and things differently here. And one of the best ways we do that each week Everything else falls apart. The message is horrible. Uh, the one we, if we just screw it up really badly, we always have the Lord's table. Because it is the picture of why we do this. It's where Jesus embraced the most unlikely of crews. Someone who would betray him. Someone who would turn him in. All of them who would go running. He embraced them at the table. Broke bread and said, this is my body poured a cup and said, this is my blood shed to forgive sins. And so if you would count yourself uh, as someone Jesus would sit at a table with, then this is for you, even if it's the first time. And it'd be wonderful if that was your first step of faith. And for all of us who follow Jesus, we can't go to that enough. And so you're invited for the remainder of the service, no need to line up, it'll be open the whole time, to approach either station, tear a piece of bread and dip it in the wine or the juice that are labeled, and just breathe deep, because you're going to need it. Embrace Christ and embrace you. Continue worship. This has been the Artisan Church Podcast. To receive future podcasts, go to www.artisanchurch.com slash podcast or subscribe on iTunes. Thank you for listening.